0: Praise the Lord for that. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. If you would, we'll go there to Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. We'll read verse 1 down through verse number 3, then we'll get into the message tonight. We've been preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the 13th message we have this week, next week, and the week after that, and we'll be done with the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to preach this series, if for nothing else than for me. It's been an encouragement and it's been a blessing to me, not just in, 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 in advancing and in being able to preach and uh being an orator or anything of that nature, although I am thankful, church, for being uh for you being a guinea pig, you know, and allowing me the opportunity to preach, but really this has helped me. Uh I've not really talked a lot about how I came about preaching this series and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it involves somebody else's experience, but somebody else was going through a series of circumstances that brought them to the point of depression And I had to determine what I thought about the matter. And I went to the Word of God and I said, what does the Word of God have to say about discouragement and depression, self-loathing, suicide, and all those different things that we've been talking about? And really, God has shown me a number of things that have helped me in my walk. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity that's been afforded to me to preach. And I I thank you for listening. You've been a a great church to listen and you've given great feedback. You've helped me uh, advance and to learn. Have I talked any slower? Have I slowed down at all? Come on, give me something, a little bit, right? A, a little, a little bit. I'm lo- Oh, hey, now I'm preaching on this side, that's right. I've gotten better at that, I know I have, because I have it written, go to the right side. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I I appreciate you. I really do. I appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to preach and to to preach on a regular basis. No other assistant pastor gets that opportunity. So thank you, pastor. Thank you, church. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse number 1. I'm excited to preach this message to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 1. Read with me. It says, for all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either. Uh, excuse me. Knoweth, uh, no man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. Look at this statement. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, and to him. Uh, excuse me. To him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Tonight, for just a few moments, in light of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll cover the whole chapter tonight, in light of our series through the book of Ecclesiastes a series which we've entitled Meaningless, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our text. Ready are you are you taking notes? Ixnay on the Upid stay. Okay? Ixnay on the Upid stay. You want to spell it I X N A Y on the Upid stay. O O P I D S-T-A-Y. You'll find out what that means here in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the message tonight, and we'll get into the text. Lord, I pray that you would be with me tonight. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the message we heard this morning and the encouragement through the singing, the fellowship. And Lord, thank you for the song that the ladies just sang. I'm thankful that you sent your son who knew no sin, and he became sin for me. Personalize it. It's me. My Savior. It was my cross that he took. And I'm thankful that I have eternal life and that salvation is not something that I can lose. But man, Satan tries as he does with all believers to try to get me to discourage, uh, to be discouraged, to try to fail and try to get me to think that I am not worthy, to try to get me to think that uh, my past has decided my future and who I am in Christ. But Lord, I'm thankful that I can take him back to the cross. I can take him back to July 13th of 1997 when I called upon your son and I accepted your son as my savior. Lord, I'm thankful that it's all under the blood. Thank you so much for the song tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be pleased with me. I Pray that you'd slow my speech. I pray that I would uh, uh, say exactly what you want me to say tonight. I wouldn't say anything you don't want me to say. And Lord, I pray that we would have an experience in you. Lord, I pray that the spirit would come down and it speak to the hearts of man tonight. And I pray that it would urge us all to respond to the word tonight. Lord, I don't want to say anything that is not of the word of God. I want to say exactly what the word of God says tonight. So Lord, give me guidance, give me wisdom, give me clarity of thought. I yield myself the best I know how in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ixnay on the day. I can see some of you are a little bit confused. Some of you got it. How many of you got it? How many of you just, you're going to be honest, what are you talking about? Ixnay on the upit stay. Ixne on the upit stay is pig Latin for, ready? Don't talk about stupid while he's in the room. All right. Ixnay on the Upid day, don't talk about stupid while he's in the room. You kind of get the idea that you're having a conversation with somebody else and that person is bashing someone who's not there and all of a sudden they appear right behind him. And I could imagine that if you were in that situation, maybe you'd do something along these lines. Hey, Ixnay on the Upid day, don't talk about that person. Why? He's standing right behind you. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever been in that situation where you're telling somebody, hey, stop talking, that person's behind you? How many of you have ever been talking about somebody and they were right behind you? Be honest. Come on. Don't lie in church tonight. We've all been in that situation. It's an expression used to alert someone to stop talking about a person because he or she is in close proximity and might hear what they're saying. Hey, Ixne on the upid stay. Stop talking about stupid because stupid is right behind you. All right. We're going to talk about stupid tonight. We're going to talk about somebody that's in our congregation tonight. He's sitting here. He's lurking. He's sitting behind every man, woman, boy, and girl, and everybody knows that he's there, but most of us have choose to ignore that he's there, and you want to pretend that he's not present, uh, and, and we definitely don't want to talk about him, but we're going to talk about him tonight. He's sitting behind you. Everybody just turn around and look at the person behind you. He's sitting behind you. Right now, he is there. He is present, and he's breathing down your neck, and you can pretend all you you want that He is not there, but He is present. Ixne on the Day. You know who we're going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about death. Welcome to Wooden Valley Baptist Church. Hope you're going to be encouraged tonight. But we're going to talk about death. Yes, death. We don't like to talk about death. We hate talking about death. It's a topic of conversation that we try to avoid at all costs, and for some of us, the reason that we avoid it is because we're not prepared for it. It's something that we're not ready for, and and we're not prepared for it. It's something that we don't want to put attention to. For some of us, the reason that we don't want to put attention to it is because we think we have the rest of our lives in front of us. I can just see it. Uh, Some of you uh, millennials like me, you're 22, 23, 25 or six and you think I have the rest of my life in front of me. You do have the rest of your life in front of you. But there's a catch. You don't know how long you have. You don't know how long you have. I'd like to think that I'm going to live a long, healthy life, but that is in the hands of my Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know if it's going to be today, tomorrow, when I'm 100 or when I'm 30. Uh, A lot of us, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it because we think we have our whole life ahead of us. But there's another demographic that is in here tonight. Some of you more seasoned people, you don't want to talk about it because you're afraid that it's closer than you think. Am I right? You're a little bit more fearful. You want to kind of avoid it because you know that it's closer today than it was 45 years ago. And you, want to, you don't want to talk about it. Matter of fact, every time that somebody brings up death or they bring up preparing for death, you put your fingers in your ear, la, 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 I can't hear you, can't hear you. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to look about it. Uh, look at it. I don't want to acknowledge it. But just understand, death is coming. Death waits for no man. Death is coming, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, be it guaranteed that you will face death. Again, we don't like to talk about death because we're not prepared for it. And as I was studying that very thought, I kind of just thought, what are some things that we do that uh we do to prepare for death what are some things that the world does to prepare for death there's the obvious which is setting aside uh funeral arrangements and different things of that nature obviously you want to make sure that you take care of your friends and your loved ones that you're going to leave behind and so maybe you make some investments there's all sorts of things that would come to mind but i just uh i'm thinking outside the box what are some interesting things that people do uh to prepare for death and so obviously got on the good old reliable google and i I just Googled things that people do to prepare for death that are weird. And there were a lot of different things that came up. And one of them, it's not necessarily very weird and it's not even that new, but it's a strange behavior. And there's this trend, it's not even new, it's been going on for centuries, but it's something that's not that popular. But when I say it, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. There are individuals who will request to be buried with something, a possession, or in something that identifies who they thought that they were in life. You understand what I mean? They want to be buried. When I die, I want to be buried with this. I want to be buried in this suit. I want to be buried in this casket. I want to be buried with this in my hand. There's different things that people do uh, whenever they pass from the scene. They desire to be buried with something they believe identifies who they were. It, It speaks to their legacy that they left behind. And of course, I had to write down some of the things that I found. And so here you go. William Burroughs, the American writer. Was buried with a loaded 38 revolver, a sword cane, a ballpoint pen, and his fedora. Tony Curtis, the actor, was buried with his Stetson hat, a pair of leather driving gloves, his grandson's baby shoes, and the ashes of his dog. Well, I mean, seriously, what is it? How many of you, when your dog died, you just put him in the ground, Okay. And now how many of you have little Fido sitting on the mantle at home in his ashes at home? Don't raise your hand. I don't even want to see you. He's buried with the ashes of his dog. I don't get that. People have this weird obsessions uh, with their pets. I hope I didn't offend you tonight. But uh, 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 Tony Curtis was buried with his Stetson hat, a pair of leather gloves, his grandson's baby shoes, and the ashes of his dog. Miles Davis. How many of you remember old Miles Davis, the great jazz trumpeter? Miles Davis was buried with one of his jazz horns. Wild Bill Hickok, the legendary gunslinger, was buried with his rifle. Ernie Kovac. Ernie Kovac. I didn't realize I knew who that was until I looked up who that was. Ernie Kovac, uh, he's the comedian and TV pioneer from years and years and years ago. He was buried with a cigar in his hand and one of his jackets. Now the reason that that is humorous, and I don't want to make light of the dead, but the reason that that is humorous, he had a cigar in his hand and he had one in his jacket is how many of you know how he died? Anybody? He died, he got into a severe car crash and was killed on impact and they determined that the cause of the accident was, there was just a couple of feet from the accident, an unlit cigar and a lighter. And so what they derived from is that he took his eyes off the wheel to light his cigar, ran into a telephone hole, and he died on impact. And so he wanted to be buried with a cigar in his hand and a cigar in his jacket. Bob Marley, Bob Marley is the father of reggae music, was buried with his red Gibson guitar, a Bible, ready? And some marijuana. His red Gibson guitar, a Bible, and some marijuana. Talk about conflicted. Buried with his red Gibson guitar, a Bible, and some marijuana. Stand the man, Musil. How many of you baseball fans out there? Stand the man, Musil. Hey, uh, brother, brother Luke, you just signed with the, uh, the Bulldogs, didn't you? He, you committed? Is that right? Com- verbally committed to, uh, to Georgia. Is that right? Is it Georgia? Indiana. In Indiana. That's right. Hey, that's awesome. But he's a baseball fan. Stand the man, Musil. He's the great uh, St. Louis Cardinal. Was buried with his baseball bat and a harmonica. Loved to play the harmonica. Colonel Sanders, we all know that guy, right? The great mastermind behind the great, the second greatest chicken location in all of the world, KFC. Second greatest, you know what the first is? By the way, did you notice? Uh, I think this is exclusive with the Bothell Canyon Park location that they put mouthwash in the bathrooms, so that you can wash your mouth out before you eat God's chicken. That's why they did that. I'm serious. They put mouthwash uh, in the, I don't even know why I'm talking about Chick-fil-A. My mind is on Chick-fil-A. But Colonel Sanders, let's get back to the message. Colonel Sanders, famous mastermind behind KFC, was buried in his trademark double-breasted white suit. Tiny Tim. That take you back, some of you baby boomers. Tiny Tim, best known for his 1960 rendition of Tiptoe to the Tulips. Some of you are singing it right now. That's the scariest song I've ever heard of in my life. You want to scare someone to death? Turn out all the lights. When they come home from work, turn that song on and then flicker the lights up and down. That'll scare them to death. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim, again, he was best known for his 1968 rendition of Tiptoe Through the Tulips, was buried with, get this, his ukulele and more tulips. <clears throat> this one's the one that I wanted to get to. This one's very interesting. Chicago gangster Willie Stokes Jr. Was, you know, it sounds like a gangster, doesn't he? Willie Stokes Jr. He was buried in his Chevy Chevelle. He was sitting at the wheel. They had him sitting at the wheel wearing a hot pink suit, hands on the wheel with five $100 bills stuffed between his left thumb and his forefinger. That's I'm not talking that's not how he died. After he died, they placed him in his Chevy Seville. They put him in a hot pink suit and he had his hands on the steering wheel and in between his left thumb and his index finger they put 5 $100 bills in the hand of this dead guy. And it said that as one of his friends walked by, he said to another friend, "Man, isn't that living?" Actually, no, it's not. That's not living. That's dying. The truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, ixne on the upitz day, we can try to not talk about it, but death awaits every single one of us. And you know what we can do? We can dress death up in a hot pink suit and a Chevy Cheville, uh, but you know what it's not going to change? That every single person is going to pass off into eternity. Every single, it is appointed unto man once to die. We all have death staring us in the face. Everyone is going to die. And as Christians, we talked about this briefly just last week, but we face death very differently than the world faces death, don't we? Aren't you thankful for that? How many of you have ever been to a funeral of a lost person? Isn't that one of the most discouraging, depressing experiences as you sit there and the family gathers around and they're mourning and they're bitter and they're crying? Why? They have no hope. But in contrast to that, how many of you have been uh, to the funeral of a believer? And it's very different, is it not? It's more of a celebration of life. And and the Bible says that we sorrow not as others which have no hope. And I'm thankful uh, that it's very different for us Christians when we face uh, this thing of death. And there's a vast difference in the disposition and there's a vast difference in this article of death. But understand that whether you're a believer or whether you're a lost person, death is accompanied by fear. For most of us, and all of us, if we're honest, there is an element of fear that is companion to or associated with this thing of death. We're afraid of death. We're scared of it. It's not that we don't want to go to heaven, but nonetheless, we are scared of dying. All of us are scared of dying. Comedian and TV personality Woody Allen once said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. We all are afraid of death. Solomon is not afraid of death. He wasn't afraid of death in Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. And there's some things that he goes over that I want to talk to you about. He's told us already about the meaningless of life without God in focus. We've talked about that for the past 12 weeks. We've talked about just that core thought that life is meaningless without God at the center. And you can try to find meaning and you can try to find purpose in anyone or anything. And it will lead to purposelessness, meaningless vanity, uh, depression. It'll lead to all those different things. But when God is at the center you can find meaning when God is at the forefront of your life that's where you find meaning but Solomon has been talking about it in the past 11 chapters how life is meaningless without God in the center and in almost in chapter number nine in the same voice not only is life meaningless without God in center death is also meaningless when God is not at the center gleans the same result it's a meaningless approach to this thing of death And we like to, that's why I shared that illustration. We like to be remembered for some things when we pass away. There's some things we want to be remembered for, and you know what? You know what the tell-all is? Your funeral. The tell-all for the life that you lived is going to take place at your funeral. Don't look at me like I'm morbid and nasty. All of us from one time or another have thought about this. How many of you would love to attend your funeral? Not in the casket. I'm talking to be a fly on the wall. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean you're dead, but no one knows that you're there, right? And you're there and you're able to see, why do we think that way? Because we want to know what kind of legacy we left behind. We want to know who's going to be in attendance or not in attendance. We want to know what so-and-so is going to say in the eulogy. We want to know how long pastor's message is going to be or how short pastor's message is going to be. We want to know things like that. We want to be a fly on the wall in our funeral. And so Solomon tells us how to face this event and how we can prepare for this one event, an event that we're going to talk about that is inevitable. It's going to happen. And so that's the question I want us to answer tonight. How can we prepare for that one event? How can we prepare for that one event? There's a couple of things that Solomon goes over if you're taking notes tonight. The first thing I want you to notice is accept the validity of death. Accept the validity of death. Solomon begins uh, these first verses and tells us a few things about the validity of death. I'll share them with you very quickly. The first thing he shares is the basic reality of death. The basic reality of death, and he talks about it in verse 1 and 2, we already read it, but I'll read again. It says, verse 1, for all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is no one, uh, excuse me, a uh, 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 All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked and to the good and to the clean and to the unclean. And to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. Interesting thought. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. Here Solomon gives the analogy of a righteous man and a wicked man. We could use a New Testament vernacular and just simply say a lost man and a saved man. He's giving the analogy of these two contrasting beings. And so uh, we could say it again this way. A lost man or a saved man. And here's what Solomon summarizes in these first two verses. Ready? Death is the great equalizer for everyone. It doesn't matter if you sacrifice or if you don't sacrifice. It doesn't matter if you give oath or you fear oath. It doesn't matter if you're clean or you're unclean. Guess what? Death levels the playing field for all of us. It's the great equalizer for everyone. It doesn't matter how wealthy, poor, young, old, smart, or foolish someone is. There is a basic reality that we all must accept about the validity of death. And here it is. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You can't escape it. There's nothing that you can do about it. It's going to happen. It's a sure thing. It's something that you cannot escape. And it's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you're any of those things, good, bad, ugly, we're all going to face death. There's an old Chinese proverb, excuse me, Italian proverb, and it says that when the chess game is over, the pawn, the king, the queen, the rooks, and the bishops, all the pieces go back into the same box. It Doesn't matter how great one might be in this life, listen to me, death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer, it all brings us to the same level playing field. And because of that reality, it's something that we don't like to talk about. Isn't it, isn't it funny, all the different synonyms we've come up with for death? When we're talking amongst one another, uh, we don't like to talk about death, but when we're forced to talk about it, we talk about it and we'll say things like, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, he passed away. Passed away. Oh, uh, that person, he kicked the bucket. Here's the good Baptist one. Oh, he went home to be with the Lord. I'm not dogging those terms. I'm I'm not dogging those terms. I think that it's fine to use those different expressions. But can I encourage you tonight? You're going to die. Black and white. We're all going to face death. We're all going to face eternity. It's something guaranteed that we're going to face. It's a sure thing. Solomon says that if we're going to accept the validity of death, we must understand the reality of death. And that is this. It's a sure thing. We can't escape it. The basic reality of death. Solomon also points this out. The bad responses to death. Bad responses to death. He gives us two things uh, in verses 3 through verse number 6. Here's the first bad response. Deny it. Deny it. Look at verse number 3. It says, This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Look at what he says next. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. There's a lot of people who are living denying the reality of death. They live that way. You can tell by the way that they behave that they live denying the reality of death. How can you be so sure? How, how can you make that statement? It's it said that their heart is full of evil and madness while they live. Someone who has a grasp of the reality of death and they understand what we just talked about, that it's a sure thing it will affect the way that they live. You understand? Someone who doesn't have a healthy uh, grasp of the reality of death will live how they want to live. They'll live how they want to live because simply they're denying the reality of the inevitable. Someone who has grasped the reality of death will live life preparing for it, but there's so many people who want to deny it. They want to deny the preparational stages. They want to deny, uh, again, the different things that we do to prepare for death because they're living in denial of something that is inevitable. I think of my son. My son is <clears throat> three years old, and every single night it's the same thing. We go through the same ritual. You can ask my wife. We did it last night. We're going to do it again tonight, but I come in at about 8 25. And as soon as I walk in the room, again, he's only three years old, but he understands a little bit of the concept of time, and he can tell that it's getting dark outside. And this happened last night, but I walked into the room, and my son, his head pops up, and he simply just says this, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. I didn't even mention it. I didn't even talk about brushing your teeth. Uh, Or or, or he'll say, I don't want to put on my pajamas. You know why he does that? Because he knows that after we brush our teeth, and we put on our pajamas, there's an inevitable, uh, inevitable event that we're preparing for. And it's called bedtime. And he loves to live in denial of the reality and the inevitability of bedtime. So what he'll do is as soon as I walk into the room, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to put on my pajamas. You know why he says that? He's living in denial of death. Or excuse me, living in denial, (laughs) living in denial of bedtime. It's an inevitable thing. It's something that he knows is going to happen. So he thinks that if he can avoid it, if it's something that he can just simply deny, out of sight, out of mind, ixne on the upas day, he thinks that he can escape it bad response to death would be to deny it. Here's another one. Ignore it. Ignore it. Look at verse number four and, uh, and verse number five. It says, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And so we understand that for some, they'll live denying the inevitability of death, but there are others who will accept the inevitability of death. They understand that it's a sure thing, but they just choose to ignore it. They choose to ignore it. They choose to just don't worry about it. It's something that you can't control. It's something that's going to take you and you really don't know the hour. So why let it affect how you live? Just live life for the now. Man, this really sounds like Solomon, doesn't it? In the previous chapters. But just live life for the now. Live for today. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They understand that it's a sure thing. They understand that it's there. But they just choose to ignore it. Choose to not pay attention to the warning signs. Choose not to prepare for it. How many of you are like me and you've owned a few cars and when you turn on, you turn on the car, it lights up like a Christmas tree? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about when you start it and all the lights come on. I'm talking about when you start it and the lights stay on. I know a thing or two about that. You know what I choose to do most of the time? Ignore it. That's why I've had like 16 different cars in my lifetime. Because when I start my car and it indicates that I have a check engine light, there's something wrong with my engine or there's something wrong with my transmission, low tire pressure, fill in the blank, I choose to ignore it. I mean, because what am I going to do? Take it to a mechanic? But I choose to ignore it. And that's how some people treat death, isn't it? They ignore all the warning signs. They ignore the preparation stages. They ignore doing what they need to do to prepare for this inevitable event. And they just choose to treat it like it's not there. Ixnay on the upist day. How do we prepare for this one event? Accept the validity of death. It's a sure thing. It's guaranteed. It's something that we cannot escape. You can try to deny it. You can try to ignore it. Or you can choose to accept it. It doesn't really matter. Just understand it's going to happen. The validity of death. Here's the second one. How are we going to prepare for this one event? Appreciate the value of life appreciate the value of life now we understand that death is a sure thing Uh, we just talked about the validity of death but i want you to understand something god's desire for us as christians is not to walk around with our heads in the ground with death at the forefront of our mind and not something that we're constantly dwelling on in regards to like a fatalistic perspective of life how many of you have ever seen the adams family how many of you remember wednesday On the Adams family, this this girl, she's got black hair and it's straight. She's got black eyeliner, black makeup, black earrings, black shirt, black blouse. She's got black everything and she has this obsession and this fixation with death. God doesn't want us to live that way. God doesn't want us to live where we're walking around, I might die today. God doesn't want us to live that way. God doesn't desire for us uh, to walk about, although it's something that we cannot escape and that we ought to accept it and understand that it's inevitable and prepare for it. Uh, He also says in chapter number three and verse number 13, which we talked about just in week, I think it was two or three, it says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. Life is a gift from God. God gave us life so that we could enjoy it. He gave us, as we talked about last week, the resources necessary in order for us to enjoy it. Although death is inevitable, although it's something that we should prepare for, just understand that God does not expect us to walk around with this fatalistic perspective thinking, I could die any second. No, he wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to appreciate the life that he's given us. Solomon gives us four practical principles over the next several verses to help us enjoy the day-to-day. These are so practical, they'll slap you in the face. But I promise you, they'll be a help. Here's the first one. Eat every meal like you're at a banquet. Eat every meal like you're at a banquet. Look at verse number seven. It says, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. In the margin of my Bible, I put right there, eat more Chick-fil-A and sweet tea. It makes God happy. Eat every meal like it's, it's a banquet. Understand that Solomon isn't condoning gluttony, by the way. He's not saying to fill your face until your arteries are screaming no more. He's not talking about an unhealthy uh, diet. He's not talking about that. But he's simply saying that you ought to enjoy every single meal like it's a banquet. In Solomon's day and Solomon's day mealtime was more than just stuffing your belly it was a time to reflect it was a time to look at the provisions of god it was a time to fellowship with one another and their families and their uh, their housing units and they would get together and it would be this big ordeal it wouldn't be something uh, Solomon would have never understood nor anybody in Solomon's day would have ever, ever understood the concept of fast food because every single meal was a big deal it was something that you gathered together it was a family endeavor Solomon also said in Proverbs 15 and verse number 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and a hatred therewith. In other words, it's better to eat some salad in desire than steak in detest. How many of you, whenever you sit down at the family dinner table, it's like ensuing World War III? It's like an all-out war ensues. Everybody's angry at everybody. I can't look at my wife when I say this next part. How many of you, whenever you get to the dinner table, you pull out your phone? All of us, right? Here's the practical takeaway I want you to get from it. Write it down. Value the time around the dinner table. Is that meat and potatoes preaching? That's so simple, but is that not something that we don't make time for? We're talking about appreciating the value of life. Something like family dinners is something that we really don't take time to do anymore. It's something that we don't take time to do, and when we do take time to do it, we're distracted. We spend time reprimanding or arguing. Solomon says, eat every meal like you're at a banquet. Here's the second one. Celebrate every day like you're at a party. Celebrate every day like you're at a party. Look at verse number eight. It says, let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. In Solomon's day, putting on white garment and anointing one's head with oil was a preparatory uh, uh, event that they would do before a special event like a banquet or a wedding, a reunion, an inauguration, or maybe when they'd go and meet someone of high renown and high esteem. And oftentimes, it wasn't just something that would happen once, it would be like a week long endeavor. So they would wake up, they'd put on the white raiment, and they'd anoint their head and they'd go participate in this activity, and it was an extravagant thing, it was something that everybody participated in, so again Solomon says in verse Verse eight, let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Live every single day like it's a gift because it is. Live every single day like it's a party. Lamar, I have a problem with that statement. Okay, you have a problem with that, with that statement. I'd like to introduce you to my pastor, Rich Farinella. How many of you understand that Pastor Farinella knows how to party? I, I mean, how many of you have ever been to one of Pastor Farinella's get-togethers? He invites us over sometimes on Sunday night, not all the time because he gets tired of our company, but sometimes he invites us over on Sunday nights. We're just going over after church, but he lays the spread. You know what I'm talking about, Becky? He'll lay the spread. He wants to make the best sandwich and uh, uh, mediocre will not do. Gets the best tomatoes. He gets the best meat. We've got to make sure that the avocado, avocado is nice and ripe. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to play with Dax. We're going to play with Rory. And every I mean, he's like always in a good mood. He's always in party mode. Matter of fact, Pastor Farinella is notorious for preachers around the area as being a party animal. They come over, they'll go to a fellowship meeting, and he's the one who keeps everybody up until 2 a.m. You know why he's like that? He lives every day to the fullest. Lives every day like it's a gift from God because it is. And can I tell you something? We all ought to operate that way. Because you know what, death is waiting around the corner. We ought to value the gift of God, that is life. We ought to value the life that God has given us to the point where it affects our day-to-day lives. I'm not talking about living this careless, uh, kind of having this careless approach to living life. We already talked about the danger of that perspective. We even called it living life under the sun, the -the under-the-sun worldview. I'm not talking about having a careless perspective, but listen, we should view every single day like it's a gift from God because it is a gift from God. It, is, it should affect our day to day. God designed us to enjoy life. And God designed us in spite of all the infirmities and in, in spite of all the difficult circumstances, which by the way, those things are going to happen. But God, decided, God desires and He designed for today to be your best day. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying that if you do right and you live right, that God will prosper you. But I am saying that in spite of all the different things that might go wrong, God desires for today to be the best day possible for you. Live every single day like it's a party. I already used my son as an illustration. You're only supposed to use your kids once in a message. I'm going to use them a second time. My son loves life. He loves life. I mean, every single moment is the best moment in the world. And he understands that you better not wake mom and dad up whenever you wake up in the morning. We're sleeping, and usually he wakes up at the crack of dawn. Usually it's at some ungodly hour, like 5 o'clock. God designed us to enjoy from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m. And the rest of it, he desired for us to be asleep. And he understands that he's not supposed to interrupt us, but every morning, almost without fail, he knows that he's not supposed to knowingly wake us up. But he'll walk up to my side of the bed, he'll get five inches with his nasty morning breath, and he'll say, you wake, Daddy? You wake." You know why he's like that? Because the kid loves life. He loves life. He lives every single day like it's the best day in the world. Um, Sunday school teachers, help me out. You teach my son. You understand that he's larger than life. He loves life. I I think that every single Christian should be a morning person. I think that every single Christian should wake up. Hey, his mercies are new every single morning. We ought to wake up with the intent to make this day the best day possible. Why? Because it's a gift from God. Celebrate every day like it's a party. Here's the next one. I like this one. Enjoy every day of marriage like it's your honeymoon. Q Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Enjoy every single day of marriage like it's your honeymoon. Look what he says in verse number nine. He says, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Which he, uh, which he hath given uh, thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life. And in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Marriage counseling from the worst person in the Bible. Had some 700 wives and 300 concubines. But can I tell you something? He is absolutely right. He's spot on. Uh, He hit the nail on the hammer. Uh, I'm telling you, enjoy every single day with your wife, with your spouse, like it's your honeymoon. A reason that I love our marriage retreat, our marriage conference, Uh, those of you who didn't go, you missed out on a great opportunity, and I encourage you to go next year. It's a blessing. It'll be a help. But the reason that I appreciate ours more than any other is we, we try to do as little instructing as possible and as much free time as possible by design. It's not like we couldn't have asked Brother Decker to bring a suitcase full of lessons and a suitcase full of different uh, topics that he could discuss, and he did a great job, and I'm thankful for that. But we, we really benefit a little from that, but we benefit uh, in a greater portion from the amount of time that we get to spend one-on-one with our spouse. And I appreciate the feedback, and I appreciate the teachings and the lessons, but I need some time to apply the teaching. I need some time to apply the lessons. Whenever we went and we were in Port Ludlow and we went from Port Ludlow on Friday afternoon, we drove about 30 minutes over to Port Townsend thinking that we would get secluded and away from everybody else, but apparently everybody else had the same idea. And I remember we walked into a restaurant and and I'm thinking, um, I love all of you, but I'm not here to spend time with you. Matter of fact, when we got to the restaurant, uh, Jason and Michaela were, uh, happened to be sitting across the table, and Jason jokingly said, Hey, you want to sit with us? And without missing a beat, I said, No, thank you. I do not want to sit with you. Because I'm sitting with the most important person in my life right now, and I'm enjoying the time with the wife that God has given me. One of the greatest blessings in this life that God gives some of us is a spouse. I better say that again. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us in this life is companionship with our spouse. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Here's the practical takeaway. Value the spouse God gave you every second of every day. Value the spouse that God gave you every second of every day. Enjoy every day of marriage like it's your honeymoon. Here's another one. We might not like this one as much, but it's in the text. Go to work every day like it was your last day to work. Now there's two ways to look at that. You could either look at it, like I'm sure some of you are looking at it, and like, this could be the last day. Maybe Jesus will come back today before my lunch break. But I don't believe that Solomon is talking about that. Here's what Solomon says in verse number 10. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Hey, listen, work while you can and work hard. Work while you can and work hard. Uh, Again, uh, I just referenced the marriage conference, but another thing that I took away from that, how many of you that were there remember what Brother Decker said about this false perception that we have on work and how it's a result of the curse of Adam? That's not a result of the curse of Adam. God designed us to work. Why? Because God works. God designed us to work. He designed us uh, to work all the days of our life as long as we possibly can. So let me just encourage you, work and work hard and enjoy doing it. Uh, this past week, I had an opportunity for Brother Fleet to come over and help me with some different things. And he was uh, uh, doing some different internet things. And uh, as he was up there, I said, man, Brother Fleet, uh, uh, w- are you thinking about retirement? That's got to be on your mind. And he said, yeah, it's on my mind. I'm 68 and I'm looking to retire here in a couple of years. But he said this, I want to work as long as I can. He didn't say that he had to work. He said, I want to work as long as I can. And I thought that that was interesting. And he went on to say, he said that the moment that I stop working... I'm not going to be able to work anymore. Solomon says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Hey, listen. When you work, work every single day like it was your last day of work. And live every single day working in a manner where if that was your last day at work, that would be your reputation. The effort that you put in, the things that you put into your job, the level of effort that you put in regards to how hard you're working, live every single day like it's your last day to work. Here's the takeaway from that. Value the ability to work, roll up your sleeves, get to it. How do we prepare for this one event? Accept the validity of death. It's a sure thing. You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to deny it, but we all must accept it. It's a sure thing excuse me, appreciate the value of life. Live every single day like it's a party. Enjoy your wife every single day like it's your honeymoon. Work every single day like it was your last day to work. Value every single day like it's a gift from God because it is a gift from God. And it'd be nice if he closed the chapter just like that. If you close the chapter just like that, then we could take away that, yeah, we're going to die, but God has created us to enjoy life, and so we ought to enjoy life. But here's the third one that Solomon talks about in chapter number nine. How do we prepare for this one event? Acknowledge the viciousness of injustice. Acknowledge the viciousness of injustice. The truth is, there's going to be some things that happen in this life on our way to that one event, ready, that aren't fair. Here's a newsflash. Finish it, parents. Life is not We love it. But it's true. Life is unfair. Solomon tells us two things in this closing chapter about the unfairness of life. Here's the first one. The best man is not always rewarded in this life. The best man is not always rewarded in this life. Look at verse number 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Verse 12, for man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare are not the sons of men's snare in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. Wow. In other words, sometimes, ready, bad things happen to good people. We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago. Brother Decker talked about that a few weeks ago, but listen, sometimes bad things happen to good people and let's just qualify it a little bit more sometimes evil things happen to God's people sometimes you do your best but you finish last how's that for prosperity gospel sometimes you give it your dead level best you dot your I's you cross your T's you live right breathe right do right but you finish last Just because you do right, live right, eat right, speak right, walk right, talk right, doesn't mean that God will prosper you according to your expectations. A lot of times we get that mixed up. We expect for God to reward us according to our expectations, but just understand that the best man is not always rewarded in this life. Goliath was the biggest man in the Bible, and a little teenager knocked him down. Joab's brother was the fastest man in the Bible, but someone caught up to him and speared him down. Absalom was the handsomest man in the Bible, but he got his hair stuck in the oak tree and died an ugly death. How many of you heard that story? Lester Roloff preached a message, God hung a hippie and the mule walked on. Samson was the strongest man in the Bible, but a woman led to his demise. Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible, but a series of bad decisions led him to deep depression. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse number 11, here's what Solomon is teaching us. The race does not always go to the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the handsomest, the smartest. The best man is not always rewarded in this life. It's important that you get that last part. In this life. Here's the second one. The good man is not always remembered in this life. Verse number Thirteen. Solomon gives this parable. This wisdom have I seen under the sun, <clears throat> and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in a uh, excuse me there was found uh, uh, in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Very noble of him. That's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing. And thank the Lord for uh, wise old men. But look what happens in the next verse. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. No one, no, man uh, no one remembered that same poor man. Then said, I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise are heard and quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools, wisdom is better than weapons of war but one sinner destroyeth much good again wow how quick we are to forget the poor old men we're we're quick to forget the poor old men that have helped deliver us from snares of the enemy and that happens all the time in life it happens all the time in churches happens all the time in families We're quick to forget the poor old men who are inclined to wisdom and deliver us from the snares of the enemy. But can I give you an encouragement? You might not be rewarded, or excuse me, you might not be remembered in this life. You might not be remembered for your good works in this life. The unfortunate truth is that in this life, the good man is not always remembered. Oftentimes, we forget the wisdom and the counsel that were inclined to us by wise old men. We forget the counsel quicker than we got the counsel. And it can be very easy for us to keep score. But as I said last week, we like to keep score under the sun, but God is keeping a record under heaven. The good man is not always remembered in this life. In closing, here's the formula. Boiled down into one simple statement. One simple statement and we're done. How do we prepare for one event? Live every day accepting the inevitability of death while enjoying the gift of life to the fullest, acknowledging that life is not always fair, but God is, He sees, He hears, He remembers, and He'll reward. Ixnay on the upitz day. We don't like to talk about death, but I'm afraid that's because we're not prepared for it. How do we prepare for this one event? How do we prepare for this one event? Accept the inevitability of death. Appreciate the value of life. And understand that although the good man might not be remembered in this life and the good man might not be rewarded in this life, we might be keeping score, but God is keeping a record. Amen, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd be with tonight. You'd be with the invitation.